Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. for downloading the show. My name is Susan Kalman. I'm a comedian and this is my podcast, Mrs Brightside, a cheerful take on depression. Yes, comedy and depression. Bit of a weird one, isn't it? Thing is, I like to make misery funny and I think other people feel the same way. And I wanted to make this podcast because I think we should all talk more about our mental health and remove some of the stigma surrounding it. I've invited eight amusing people into a basement in Soho to bear their souls to me. I didn't have any questions. It's not a traditional interview. I just wanted to chat to them about what they thought about their own heads. There's no parameters. There's no definitions. It's just coming from them and me. In this episode, I talked to uh, comedian Jordan Brooks, and it really was one of those fascinating chats I've had in my life. I didn't have a great adolescence, not that, not that that should be a surprise to, uh, to anyone. Um, <laughs> I can tell you, in all these eight podcasts, I don't think I'm any sure, of us had yeah. a good... I <laughs> yeah. think not having a good adolescence is uh, not singling you out there, Jordan. <laughs> I think we're all miserable when we were adolescents, yeah. <laughs> I'd never met Jordan before, and from the very beginning, he was unexpected, he was startling, and it, it really... I could have talked to him for hours. Unfortunately, you only get about 50 minutes, but it is absolutely fascinating. Traps in a cupboard with someone I've never met before. This is the best way to <laughs> start a depression, <laughs> depression podcast ever. Hello, my Hi. name is Susan Kalman, and I uh, have depression. I'm a comedian. Please introduce yourself to the listening audience. Uh, my name is Jordan Brooks. Uh, I don't currently feel depressed, but uh, you know, there's always we, time, Jordan. Hey, there's always time. Yeah, we always we always sit on that spectrum, just just whizzing up and down it all day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Comedian. I guess. Successful. Mm-hmm. Nominated for did you win? Nominated. Uh, I feel like I won, but I didn't know. I feel like I win Edinburgh every time I do go there. <laughs> <laughs> For the most three-star reviews possible. That's, that's the best way to approach Edinburgh. Um, this podcast is a has a huge balloon above it of mental health, mm. which can be numerous things. Personally, I have depression and anxiety, which is pretty cool. Nice. What's your bag, Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool talking to someone on a mental health podcast just going, so what's wrong with you then? Yeah, go on then. Spill yeah, the go beans. on. Impress us. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Disembowel yourself for it, please. <laughs> what have you got? Um, I, I've, I've sort of sat on a, a, a sort of spectrum of, of uh, depression and anxiety, I guess, broadly speaking, mm-hmm. as most people tend to. Um, but more specifically, I have uh, an obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. uh, called pure OCD, which is um, not defined by the sort of traditional uh, rituals that you would associate with OCD, as in having to do things a certain number of times or worrying that you've left the oven on, etc. Uh, and it's more to do with internal rituals, so thinking, thought processes. Um, so uh, it's uh, defined by intrusive thoughts, essentially. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we all experience those to some extent. But pure OCD is defined by what we do with those thoughts and how that impacts on our life. And so, um, yeah, it, it's 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 sort of uh, yeah. I guess I guess it's 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 that um, in the same way that with a sort of more physical manifestation of OCD, it's just internalized so that you're you're going, you're assessing something over and over and over again. You're turning it over. You're worrying. You're it's essentially it's it's all it's all uh, related to doubt. And that sense of doubt that you have, that you can't quite find the thing that assures you that this isn't real, or this isn't okay, or this is okay, rather. Um, so that's that's that. The reason I'm looking at you with this look on my face, Jordan, is I, 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 I feel... Uh, 
I may have discovered something I had I didn't know. Please explain to me further about this. Here we go. go. Okay. Okay, here we go. Here's a nice um, sideline in this podcast. That I may have a different form of mental health issues than I thought. Yeah, so this is interesting. You're not the first person to to say this. And the reason why this is this is I mean, maybe we'll come to this, but the the this is part of the reason why I, I would be I'm willing to talk about this sort of stuff is because it is lesser known and actually perversely widespread for how little is known about it and for uh how little is what 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 little options there are what few options there are for people to actually um get treatment so um yeah it's 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 intrusive thought so if you have like a, a, a it's often like the ah this is a, sorry to make a literary reference so so quickly but <laughs> no <laughs> please do jordan <laughs> so um edgar Allan poe Why did you say that like i don't read books or something, i don't know jordan. i don't know i just i just didn't want you to be like oh he's he's been reading this he's been he's been brushing up on his edgar Allan poe this morning i know i know he's been scouting for quotes um so um he he wrote a story called the imp of the perverse mm-hmm. and it's essentially about that it's about it's about this this uh this this seemingly outside force that comes in uh, and floods your head with thoughts that are the most like the completely against what you would want to think and that is you know that is something that everyone experiences you know mm-hmm. whether it's just simply uh thinking about jumping in front of a train as it, as, it, as it heads into the station or thinking about pushing someone else into it or jumping off a cliff. you know these, these things we have that thought because it's the most perverse thing you could think of mm-hmm. and often your brain will go there now for someone who experiences uh pure ocd but let's i mean it's broadly spe- it, it's anxiety it's dep- it's all connected it's all yes. related to each other mm-hmm. all sits on the on, in, in the same sort of ballpark um but uh it's it's sort of it it's how you process that thought so if you have a thought which is like you know i mean i'm not sure how specific i want to be with my own experiences but maybe in a bit but for example you might be talking to somebody who it would be absolutely inappropriate for you to get off with them like you know, out of nowhere. <laughs> now you might have that impulse, that thought. Yes. Now everyone has that. Everyone has that that, that little instinct, and you're like, yeah. where did that go? But we all, we all have this stream of thoughts going past every day. You know, these of, of, of varying levels of intensity and 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 perversity. But it's it's what your brain does when once that thought has manifested. So for most people, they just dismiss it as a passing thought. For others. It's a it's a cause for serious alarm, and they'll go. Why did that thought occur to me? Mm-hmm. What does that say about me as a person? Mm-hmm. And so, if you're thinking about you know killing someone, or you have the instinct, if you're if you're you know you're holding a knife and you're you know chopping up vegetables with someone in the kitchen, and you think, what if I just rammed it into their face right now? And you go, why did that occur mm-hmm. to me? Am I a psychopath? So it makes you doubt your sense of who you are, and you cannot, no matter how much oxygen you give it no matter how much you ruminate on it and turn it over and over and over you cannot find that that reassuring thought that allows you to close the door on it it never goes it's not something that makes you act on the impulses Mm. but it's the the thought of it's the thoughts that come in yeah it's a it's a thing that fascinates me about speaking to people with um broad strokes mental health issues is how much our minds work Mm. i I don't i'm not saying that we are um professor x but sometimes I'll be sitting on the sofa with my wife and I'll say, what are you thinking? Mm. And she'll go, she'll say nothing, literally nothing. Yeah. I don't think there's a point in my life where I think about nothing. I don't no, think absolutely. there's a single moment in my life no. where I'm not thinking about something. I think when she says nothing, she just means nothing she can broadcast. No, genuinely. She my really... wife was popular at school, had a lovely time, is kind and she has some foibles but is generally fine yeah. like literally generally fine I, and i sit on the sofa with her going she's not spoken to me for five minutes well, she's not spoken to me. and she's, <laughs> she she's watching the, she's watching the television yeah and i'm like well clearly there's something wrong and she's not talked to me about it why she not talked to me about yeah. it and so when i say what you're thinking about and she says nothing i go well that's fine then you're lying to me yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. she's genuinely yeah. watching antiques roadshow but it's probably what it's probably what she defines as nothing is what other people define as a lot so yes. it's you know what i mean like we have it's all passing through us it's all going through us this 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 constant stream of random thoughts but it's 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 how much you actually let it pass and that was something i, I learned um a few years ago when i was sort of trying to because it, 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 early on in my early 20s it was the it was the worst it, 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 it has been and i genuinely was 
frightened, absolutely petrified, and I didn't think I would I would get out of that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was, and there was no there was no there was no obvious answer. And I would go to the doctors and I'd say. Uh, this is what's happening, and I have these bizarre, impulsive, th- intrusive thoughts, and they—they're not. It's not me. It's not what I want to think, uh, but I can't shake it off. And they would just go, "It's anxiety. It's stress." And I would go, "Okay, well, that's nice and reassuring for half an hour, but then that doesn't stop the rituals. That doesn't stop the constant checking, the constant sort of. Uh, do I still think that? What do I feel? You know. Um, now, the, all of these. Re- like, the, I mean, when I talk about intrusive thoughts, I mean we're talking like from violent to sexual uh, to even even something as as sort of uh, quite quite gentle as as looking at your partner and thinking, "Do I?" love you like you know sometimes we have that we just look at someone yeah. and you go oh do I I don't feel the thing that I think I should feel right now and then you, you worry and so I, I've experienced a manner of, of different of different things and each one has sort of has dominated various stages of my life um, but it's uh, I didn't know when I didn't know what it was that was the worst period of my life for for sure and so uh, I think I, I I think it's important to 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 talk about this stuff, and I never thought it would be because I've always been of the, of the of the mind that like everyone experiences depressive thoughts, everyone experiences anxiety. We are we are anxious because by mere virtue of the fact that we exist, it mm-hmm. is frightening to be alive, and that yes. is, that is anxiety. Yeah. So we we are anxiety, and so to go, I I have depression, I have anxiety is great f- for the individual, but. I wonder how helpful that is for other people who just who see it as a as a category that perhaps they don't that they're not they're not you know they don't they can't subscribe to. So I've always been a bit uh, sorry. This is a very sort of all over the place uh, no. conversation, but um, I've always been of the mind that don't give it a label, uh, particularly on stage, because you want people to relate to it as much as possible and for a lot of people they wouldn't associate as you said at the start you wouldn't you know you didn't realize that intrusive thoughts might be a thing yes. but for me to go i have pure ocd and this is what it is mm-hmm. that risks making people go well that's probably not me because i don't have a thing you know because there's still a lot of stigma attached to mental health but if yes. you go so what, what i'll do on stage is i'll say do you ever have this thought or does this ever mm-hmm. occur to you and mm-hmm. most people will go shit yeah wow yeah. Uh, and then later on, you can go. By the way, in case you're worried about this thing, mm-hmm. there is a label for it. And if it is ruining, if, if it is am- impacting on on the quality of your life, then there are options available to you. When talking about mental health issues, and I've done shows about it, and written a book about it, and mm. radio shows about it, there are so many things. When you're writing a comedy show anyway, you think about the structure. Mm. So you think about if someone comes to see uh, me and they don't know who I am, how am I going to introduce myself? All those kind of things, right? But then you've got the added thing of if you're going to talk about something like this. Terminology is fascinating. Mm. You know, I I, I said in my book that if I say I self-harmed, that's difficult to saying I was a cutter. Mm Mm-hmm. Because mm. those two things have very different... Very different connotations. Visceral reactions in an audience. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you want to get people to take notice, you say you're a cutter mm. or you say self-harm. Mm. And so the thing I found fascinating about writing comedy about these issues and or writing about it in general is there are so many layers. There's the... Not the stigma, because I think... I think the more we talk about it, the less the stigma exists. So I think in general yeah, it's a I good thing. That. Yeah, but then it's how do I want to tell people about my thing? Mm. How do I want to put that out there for people? Yeah, and you, I think, I think when, uh, and this isn't, I, 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 there is no easy way of doing it. So, but when people go, I have depression, I think, I think there is a, there, there is a, there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a curious distancing for for, for others, and I, I don't know why. I don't know why that is, and I don't know if that's just because maybe maybe we're all maybe because we we're all sick of hearing about it, or we're all sort of like, well, we all have our own things, and we don't want to, you know. And how dare you give it a specific concrete label? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I th- I think it is important to talk about this stuff out out loud, and certainly in, in regards to le- like less less commonly known, but but very subtly widespread stuff like like sort of intrusive thoughts. So when did when did you? St- when did you start thinking? When did you know this was happening? I've been depressed for as long as I can remember. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a depressive child. Like, um, I, I remember my, my parents divorced when I was ten, and uh, I was I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable, and I've never 
not been miserable since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a ve- you know, in varying levels, um, and that's not to say I haven't had happy periods in my life. But I was a, I was a depressed child, and uh, I didn't know. I don't think my parents realised. And but I was also very obsessional very early on. You know, I would latch onto one thing, much like a lot of, like a lot of kids do. You latch onto one thing, and you just you live in that thing for for as long as you can, and then you get bored, and you go to the next thing, and you live in that thing. And whether it be you know Ghostbusters or doing magic tricks or something, it's just you know. But it would be it would be borderline obsessional. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I hit adolescence. Uh, I didn't have a great adolescence. Not that, not that that should be a surprise uh, to anyone. Um, I can tell you in all these eight podcasts, I don't think I'm any sure, of us. Yeah. Gave us I <laughs> yeah. think not having a good adolescence is uh, not singling you out there, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all miserable when we're adolescents. Yeah. Um, so I, I became very obsessed with uh, various things, like the way I looked. I was very, I was very, I was very. Uh, I really, really believed that I was like distinctively ugly like I really believed it growing up and I and I would and I would I would look in look at my face in the mirror for hours and I would take the mirror out into the garden and look at myself in natural light and I just I don't know what I was looking for but I just couldn't stop looking I was like trying to decide it was almost like trying to decide am, am I attractive am I you know and I just couldn't and I couldn't leave it alone I'd look in the mirror then I'd sit back down and I'd be like I've got to look again and I'd go back and I had bad skin so I'd be counting my spots and over and over and over again you know and it was stuff like that where I was like this seems this seems like an odd thing for me to be doing but also there's no one around to tell me that this isn't normal mm-hmm. so um, and then when I hit about 20, 20, I became very obsessed with, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to be creative and I'm like, um, you know, some undiscovered genius and I'm going to, I'm going to do nothing but read Will Self and write short stories into the early hours of the night. And then, uh, I became so obsessed that I wasn't doing anything productive, but I was thinking about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I'd be flitting from like, I'd be like, oh, I, I, I'm, I feel a bit undernourished intellectually. So I'll, I'll read a book and then I'd sit down and I'd read two lines of a book and be like, oh, no, 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 I should just be doing some writing. And then I'd go and do some writing and then I'd write two sentences and be like, no, 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 no I, I should probably do some exercise. Exercise is good. It releases endorphins. You know, so I'd just be flitting day after day after day. And I was living with my parents. I didn't want to go to university. I didn't go to university until about 24. So this was sort of before that. I didn't have a job. I was so desperately insecure. And I was just like, I'm going to be the kind of, I'm going to be a creative genius hermit who lives with his parents in Dorset. And, you know, and, uh, but I was. One day was, they will write films. Yeah, about exactly. Me. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll skip past this bit, but like, whatever good thing will yeah. happen at the end of this as a result of this. Um, so, so I, yeah, so I, I, I just worked myself up into a state and I would, I would go to sleep every night going over and over and over trying to assure myself that I had done something productive that day. And I was basically like talking to myself like it wasn't me. Like I'd be going, you did this, you did this, you did this, don't worry about this, you did this, you did this. And it just was relentless. I could not, no matter how much I uh, tried to assure myself, no matter what arguments I presented to myself, I just could not feel satisfied. And that then manifested in, uh, it sort of co- it became more concrete in my early 20s, it was about 2021. 20, um, and I became obsessed that I was a paedophile. I really worried that I was a paedophile. Apropos of nothing, I just I just had the thought, mm-hmm. and then I couldn't shake it off. And I and I was absolutely, you know, uh, I was horrified. And I go to the doctors, and the doctors were like, "It sounds this isn't this isn't what you know. This isn't if if, if you were, you would have you wouldn't be worrying." Mm-hmm. And um, but that wasn't enough to reassure me, and uh, I, it became like an obsession. And uh, and then I'd worry about like you know just inappropriate things like whether I was gonna you know sexually assault my mum and and stuff and you know I'd be like looking at her and I'd think what what do I what do I what do I feel I just became incredibly doubtful of who I was mm-hmm. and I felt like an alien in my own body and um, for for about five six years it it ruined my life and I and I I I, I, I can't believe that I that I'm in this position where I'm able to reflect back on it mm-hmm. from such a distance because when I was in it I really didn't <clears> think I was going to get out and when I'd go to the doctors and they'd say we it they just didn't know what it was and I didn't know what it was and then I went to a therapist and the therapist was like 
this is nothing and everyone experiences, we didn't say nothing, but you know, the, yeah, yeah. the general vibe was this isn't anything to worry about. We all sit on a scale of anxiety and depression. It manifests itself differently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, like look at the landscape of your life and this is just one one of many things. But I'm like, yeah, but... But it's really worrying me. Yeah, but it's exactly. Really worrying yeah, but the horizon is me. on okay. fire. Like yeah. I can't ignore the fact yeah. that this, I'm getting smoke inhalation from yeah. all this awfulness. And... Um, and then, uh, what did I do? I just, because I, I was living, I was living on my, I was living with my parents. I wasn't, I didn't have many friends or anything. And I, it was actually that feeling, all of that stuff manifesting actually made me feel really unsafe on my own. I suddenly didn't enjoy my own company. I suddenly wasn't, wasn't this, this, you know, crazed, creative genius who mm-hmm. could just get on with it and, and write some, some opus. I was like, oh, I've got to get out of this house because I don't like me. I don't like my own company anymore. Mm-hmm. So that was actually what motivated me then to go to university. Now I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not glad that, that, you know, uh, of, of my mental, uh, health issues, but it certainly was a strong motivator to actually get out and just be like, you've got to, you've got to do something. You've got to get out and embrace life and, mm-hmm. and meet other people. And so I slowly sort of built a life that, you know, I just sort of dealt with it day to day, but it was a constant, it's a constant and yes. you know, it's there. And it's in those quiet moments when you, that's where your brain always returns to. Mm-hmm. And you never satisfy it. And I would have these really bad periods, but I would still be functioning, you know, on the surface. And then I tried antidepressants, they didn't really work. Um, and then uh, I think one night I was just, I was just Googling. I was just looking because I was like, I've got to, fu- there's got to be, so- this has got to be something. And I was searching for like intrusive thoughts and all this stuff. And eventually it led me to, hearing about pure OCD and I remember finding a uh, message board where it was um, various sort of uh, you know, obsessive compulsive disorders but there was one where it was like a you know, subcategory of sort of uh, I can't remember what it was at the time but like sexual one I think and uh, each thread title on the message board was like was like every thought that I had had, mm-hmm. where it was someone writing, I don't know how to cope with this, I can't do this anymore, this is ruining my life, all this stuff, like often written in like block capitals, completely panicky, people losing their minds. Yeah. And I remember reading those <clears throat> and like laughing and crying at the same time. Because I couldn't believe that I was seeing this. I couldn't believe that people had experienced the same thing and that it was a thing. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge revelation for me. And suddenly I was able to, I was reading books about it and understanding it better. And and then that led me to being on the right kind of medication, which they do use for the treatment of OCD, which has helped immeasurably. Mm-hmm. I've been on that for about four years. And um, so, in the case of that, there there is a course of treatment. It's just a case of getting the diagnosis well, of what it actually is. Yeah. So it's raising awareness of it because most most doctors did not know what it was. Uh, a lot a lot of therapists do. A lot of a lot of therapists do. Um, but not all of them do, and but there are specialists in it now. There are specialists, um, but yeah, it's there are there are treatment options. But it's it's that feeling of as I'm sure you've you've felt when you go to the doctors and they can't help you, and you've been and you've been mm-hmm. and you've been sort of going well. If I go to the doctors, that will be fine. That will be the solution. I'll get the I'll get the I'll get the thing that will make all of this okay. Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't come, uh, the feeling of 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 being alone is is is, uh, is 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 unmanageable. I think the act of seeking help is a very interesting one, mm. and a lot of people have been put off by their first attempts. Mm. So, and it's absolutely not the fault of GPs. The no. GPs have um, what five minutes to see every patient. So, if you actually get up the courage to go to see a GP, you've got five minutes. Mm. I still can't talk about some of the things that make me depressed after 43 years of in an course, hour. Of course, yeah. Never mind sitting with yeah. a stranger and someone going, so what's wrong? In 10 minutes, well, oh, okay, I'll give you, you know, a bridge version I, I, of my I trauma. I sit at night and I hate myself so much I want to kill myself. Yeah. Oh, Miss Calman, that sounds absolutely <laughs> fine. That's also, not, I've got a rash on my thigh. Could you yeah, look at that as well? That's not how it works. Yeah. And then the referral rate for NHS therapists, again, mm. waiting lists, crazy long all of those kind of things and if if somebody feels i always i always think if someone feels compelled to go to their gp for help they need help because to get to that stage where you go there mm-hmm. you know because most most of us sit and suffer in silence for a good mm-hmm. year or so before yeah. you think shit i'm i'm in trouble here i need to go and see someone that's it yeah people don't they don't uh, they don't recognize the early 
indications that something needs to be dealt with. Because yeah. also, again, that's partly down to stigma, partly down to a stigma attached to antidepressants as well. You know, I still think people people think, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, friends of mine have been hesitant to go on them because they're it's like... It's a very controversial subject, antidepressants. It really is, yeah. I've never taken them. Mm. Because in my... This is simply my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cause of my depression is, is self-confidence... All of that stuff, which I need to work on. I need to work on in a CBT, cognitive behavioural mm-hmm. thing, yeah. to stop myself thinking I'm so awful at everything. Mm. I, I, I need to sort that out. Yeah. And for me, taking a, a pill would mm. not have helped th- no. that part of Because there are, there are things that you can identify externally. There that, are things that I that can, can do, do to make yeah. myself feel better. 100%, yeah. And so with, with OCD, it's essentially there is no cure. There is no end to it. There is no solution. It's just about management. And that was a really hard thing to to realize is that it, it is it is an ongoing thing and it mm. will l- most likely manifest itself in various ways for the rest of my life. And what the so there's there's a there's a sort of science behind it with, uh, with this is related to anxiety as well is that we lack a certain chemical and that is what that is what gives us that sense we need to we need to dwell, we need to we need to ruminate because that actually generates the chemical. And so taking um, these, uh, I mean, I, th- I think they are used in the treatment of depression as well, but mm-hmm. whatever they, whatever you want to call them, they they give me that chemical. So I don't ruminate. I still have these intrusive thoughts. I still have these panicky moments. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. No, in no way am I dulled or numbed by them. But what it does is it, it, it stops me from, from getting caught in these cycles yes. of rumination. Um, now that might be something that I can deal with externally. Ideally, I don't. I don't be on them forever. But I also need to accept that I might have to be. I think the thing is about m- mental health is a it's a it's a broad term, mm. you know, um, and there is no cure for mental health. What there is mm. is a number of different things which will assist. Mm. So for me, I went to a bit of CBT. I changed my life. Started exercising. Stopped drinking so much. You know, lots mm-hmm. of things. Yeah, yeah. Which has assisted, and mm. sometimes it can take a long time. I mean, you're saying for yourself that took a long time before you found out what it was and found the treatment. Well, yeah, I mean, we're talking. It's been it's been ten, eleven years since yeah. since it's still since it's sort of flared up, and you know, I've only lived half of that relatively well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it takes a while. It takes a long time. And to find the solution. Mm. So that's why when people talk about antidepressants, and I've not taken them. Friends of mine have, mm. and it's really helped them. Yeah, and I think anyone who suggests that they have the ultimate advice for someone with any form of mental health condition, they don't. No, absolutely yeah. have that because yeah, it's yeah. a very personal thing. It's your mm. circumstances. It's your. It's how accepting you are of your own condition as well. Yeah, yeah. If you want to admit how bad or good it is mm. at a particular time. Yeah, um, and for me, it's just it's a choice between. Do I live a relatively normal quality of life or do I sink into a hole? Mm-hmm. And I've tried everything to, to not. But it's it's impossible because it's essentially what it is. It's a feeling of of doubt and of not being able to quite scratch that itch. And it's that feeling of, yeah, but what if this is true? Mm-hmm. What if? And you, no matter how many arguments you present to try and like quell this this doubt doesn't work your brain will always find a new way of going yeah but what about this when you were this age and this happened 
now this all makes sense. And it's suddenly like it's creating a new timeline. Yes. And so the meds for me stop stop that, which means I don't get caught up in my own head. And, you know, I was a nightmare to be in a relationship with. I know that. Uh, before I went on the meds, it was, I was just—I would just go into my—I would just go into myself, and I would just not be there because I'd be so trapped. And it, it makes you angry, and it makes you—it makes you frustrated because you don't feel like you're living a life, and it's really hard to be around that. Mm-hmm. And it definitely changed—you know—changed me for the better in terms of being, yeah, just—just just, I guess just being a person, just being able to be a person. I think the anger at myself because I'm depressed is the worst anger. Yeah. And it frustrates my wife most of all. I'm sure, Because yeah. then I get angry about being depressed. That's exactly it, yeah. And I'm like, why am I like this? Yeah, yeah, why, yeah. why am I like this? Why have yeah. I ended up in this situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which she points out is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy which is unnecessary at that point, quite frankly, when I'm having a tantrum. <laughs> but it makes it, the angers are really difficult part of depression mm. people think depression's about sitting <laughs> like you're it's not yeah, depression's no. about anger as well depression's a, a, can be a loud yeah violent and i don't mean punching someone but internally violent struggle oh absolutely and that, and that is again that's down to a misconception of of mental illness and what we and what we perceive it to be and so that's why i always i've, I've always been on the fence about whether to give things a label when talking about stuff because i want I, I I want people to feel like it is it is not a thing that you have that needs to be as you say there's 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 a solution for or that needs to be cured. Actually, it isn't. It's about management. Yeah. It's about finding the thing, the system that works for you to allow you to live the best possible life you can. Mm-hmm. And part of that is making sure that it's not a thing that is separate. There's external. And so when, like, if I'm talking about it on stage, I talk about it matter-of-factly because, as far as I'm concerned, it is a matter-of-fact part of most people's everyday existence. And in that way, you sort of destigmatize it, I think. But I'm not, I'm not 100% on how I feel about what I've just said. It, it feels like it might be, like, a, like, a, like I, I, th- I, think I, might, I, th- I think that's the right way to do it. Let's talk about it because I've mm. struggled with what the purpose is of me being on stage and saying to people I'm depressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of it is um, needy. <laughs> I'm depressed, love me. Part yeah. of it's that, no doubt. Part of it is a very worthy part where I'm wanting to destigmatize mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of it's because I know I can get laughs in a way mm. other people can't. Because I know the strangeness of my own behavior is mm. ultimately a funny thing. Yeah, it's funny because it, it's, well, it's, it's, it's exposing something that, you, I think the majority of us experience, and when someone comes up and goes, "This is what I have experienced," everyone goes, "Oh, thank, thank you for for doing that, for saying that." In in a way, it's 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 a yeah, it's it's a taboo. It's a, and I, isn't that what like you know, comedy or the best kind of comedy is is a challenges that boundary and this is why like i get very frustrated when there's like these sort of self-styled provocateurs who are sort of you know attacking attacking um and always people that are a disadvantage to themselves societally speaking yes whereas actually to push boundaries is to is to challenge people's thinking in other ways and it's not just like saying something about muslims you know it's, <laughs> it's actually like yeah. it's actually it's talking about mental health it's yes. it's 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 that that is that is challenging that is the thing that we want to see i think creatively the thing about it, depression and mental health is just a subject like any other mm. in the it's the same as what's the difference between men and women what's i mean it's a subject that we write yeah. about as comedians I think what I like creatively about it is that uh, your experience of mental health and my experience of mental health are so are different but mm, similar. Yeah, there is a yeah, connection. Yeah. yeah. But my own quirks and foibles that I've developed, my coping strategies that mm. I've developed through time, um, are different to yours. Yeah, yeah. So one of the good things is lots of us write about depression and do shows about depression. They're not the same because we're all mental in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Felicity Ward and I could have a show on. And the same venue, an hour apart, about depression, and they will be completely different mm. because her experience is different to mine. And it sounds very strange, but having mental health problems is a brilliant thing creatively. I think it is a, it's a good thing. I think it makes us think about things slightly differently. Well, there's, I, I find that the thing, the common thread that bounds all of the people that are closest to me in my life is that they have at some point been broken. Yes. And they have been given 
they, they've they've had to reflect on on themselves and they've had to you know assess assess where they're at uh absolutely it does help yeah of course of course it does because you yeah absolutely it does um but i also know that it's like it was it was just it's just finding it's finding ways of making that funny it's such a, it's, it. such a it's such a it's such a mm-hmm. great challenge so mm-hmm. like, how can i make people laugh despite themselves how can i say something that is so inappropriate or so 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 uh so like outlandish or unsaid and make people go ah oh, i can't i can't believe you you've structured that in a way that makes me you know what i mean mm-hmm. that 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 to me is is a really great challenge comedy i i quite like horror films mm Less than I used to because the world is falling apart. And <laughs> we live in. I one. used to love horror films, and now I just look at the news. <laughs> but the structure, the structure of tension and release, yeah, is very same. similar. Mm. It's a very similar thing, um, and I do find creatively thinking about an argument I've had with my wife because I've been anxious. A stupid argument. Uh, in a previous show, I talked about the fact that she will not let me be president of the United States. What? So we watched the West Wing. I said I wanted to be president of the United <laughs> States. In that way that you do, you know, darling, what would you like to do? Yeah. In your life? And she said I couldn't because I wasn't born in America. And I was like, but we're just we're just having we're just having a chat. Yeah. Just, just chat. Stop, stop, could you yeah, just leave stop, it? Stop could you just, could you just yeah. leave it? But she's a lawyer and sometimes <laughs> she's far too lawyerly <laughs> and she's thinking about the actual argument in court. Yeah. And so you're thinking about it was actually a genuine argument. It was a genuine argument mm. where I was like, why are you being a dick? <laughs> why are you still being a dick? And then you can turn it into a story. And I like looking at the darkest things in my life mm. and thinking about how I can make them palatable and funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a beautiful challenge, I think. It's great. It's so great. And to have, you know, I, I've done three, three full-length shows now. And this was the only one where I've actually actively given things a label it's always been a common strand within it i've always wanted my sort of guiding aim if if i had one was uh do like broad existential observational comedy Mm -hmm. so make it as accessible as possible but talk about really niche dark stuff um and that has always been my sort of guiding challenge uh and but this was the first show where i was a bit i leaned into it a bit more because it was it was relevant to the to the to the show um but what I, what it did was it made people people came up to me afterwards and they'd go and as I've never had this reaction before like I'm not sure how comfortable I felt about it but people would come up to me and go I've had exactly the same thing I, and I, I'm so glad like people came up to me in tears as well and being like I didn't expect that to come up I've experienced that or my brother's experienced that uh, and that 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 made me feel uh, like it was perfect like like like, like it was it, it was it was for the first time, I'd done something that meant something, even though it's still fundamentally just comedy and it's throwaway mm. and it's daft. And a lot of my act is very willfully and sincere. And I'm trying to ch- make challenge people's under like try try and make people question everything that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. But to still have that reaction was really nice, and that's why that's why I. So in the show at the end, I go. By the way, this was pure OCD in a very cake and eat it like yes. Uh, you guys, you guys can go fuck themselves. But hit, by the way, it's this. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I've got my health problems. Cheers. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the reason why I gave it, gave it a label, obviously, as I said earlier, because it's a lesser known thing. But I, I was talking to a, a friend of a friend a few months before the Fringe last year, and we were talking about some. He's like a director who's talking about you know, ideas that he might want, like we might want to work on together. And I was telling him about the show, the concept of the show, and he was te- he was tearing up. And I said, "Are you okay?" And he said, "No one has ever." said that out loud mm-hmm. i've had that my whole life and i've never known that it was a thing and that was when i went oh i can't play hard and fast with well i've got to be really sensitive because initially i was like no fuck these guys i'm not going to say anything i'm just going to be it and live it and don't give anything a label but actually seeing that reaction made me realize that oh it could actually be useful for people one of the things you said that was quite interesting was when i wrote my book cheer up love mm. about depression I didn't expect people to come up to me and tell me about their depression <laughs> yeah and it's, it's a point which sounds really really stupid yeah no no yeah but at book signings people would come up to me in tears and you suddenly go oh no yeah 
oh no, I, I know, I'm now people's, I'm their thing. You're the person that made them feel, feel connected. Things, yeah, connected. Yeah, yeah. And you think, I don't have enough <laughs> time yeah. in the world to be everything to all these people. And it's, but also knowing that you've had that effect. Yeah. It all started, I did a Radio 4 show about depression. I have never had that kind of reaction in my life. I mm. never had since since yeah. we did that show about depression. Yeah. And it's an astonishing thing because the loneliness I think sometimes you feel when you have a mental health condition. As soon as... Do you know what it's like? Yeah. It's like being a youngster in the 80s and seeing Sandy Toxfig on the television and knowing there was another lesbian out there. <laughs> it's literally yeah. that kind uh. of holy, holy mother of God. Yeah. Yeah. There is somebody else out there who feels the same way. And you forget how... Particularly because, you know... You've written books, you talk about it quite liberally. Mm-hmm. You forget that for a lot of people, it's very hard to talk about it. And also, it's very hard for people to identify what it is. But they know that it's something, there's something wrong, and they don't yes. know what it is. But the other problem is, it's still difficult for me to talk about. Of course. Yeah, you so, don't owe anyone anything. You so don't owe when, them. I, when I do book festival events, I'm prepared for it. I kind of mm. know the questions. Mm-hmm. But when someone comes up to me afterwards and asks me about something, I can completely lose it. Yeah, yeah, Because I'm... These are still painful things to talk about. Of course, yeah. Oh, I just went again, Jordan. Oh, <laughs> this happens a lot, by the way. I'm a crier. That's fine. Go for it. I don't even know you, Jordan. <laughs> We're in a cupboard and I'm crying. <laughs> um, as someone who's full of doubt, mm. comedy. Yeah. Why? Um, it's a profession full of doubt. Oh, it's so full of doubt. But that's what I really like. That's what I've always really enjoyed is that... Is that uh, that through I I worry that my reasons for getting into it and for remaining in it, if I stripped it right back, are incredibly uh, unhealthy. You know, I worry that I am chemically dependent on a gig going well. I worry that if a gig doesn't go so well and I feel sad, that's that's dangerous. Um, but I got into it because I was a funny kid. I was a funny kid at school for very archetypally obvious reasons you know mm-hmm. it was a, it was a, it was a great defense uh when all my friends were going off and getting into relationships and i and i there had to be a point where i'd be like okay well i'm going to have to present a reason why i'm not that doing that and i was i just thought i was unattractive i thought i was i thought i was absolutely repellent and so but it's okay cuz I'm the funny guy. I'm the funny one. I'm the one that's taken loads of drugs. And I'm the zany one, you know, mm-hmm. and that stuff like that. Um, and I worry that that's the origin of it. And now I'm doing it as a with you know with my life. I don't know if it's healthy. I don't know. My, um, I think my wife when we got I, I wasn't a comedian when I met my wife. I was a corporate lawyer. Mm. All the laughs and. <laughs> I I get I gave up because I really wanted to be a stand up comedian. I'm not sure ugh, I'm not sure why I wanted to be a stand up comedian. And I remember my wife saying a, a very difficult time. You know when you're starting out and you're doing lots of gigs mm. and you're getting paid ten pounds and you're travelling around and it just everything's awful. Still do them. Yeah, <laughs> love them. <laughs> and I remember saying, "Am I? Why do you do this? Am I not enough for you?" Right. Answer no, love. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd love to say yes, yeah. but I require the affirmation of a group of strangers on a Friday night to make yeah. me feel worthwhile. Yeah. Saws. Yeah. I mean, Saws. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And most of us, I think, well, that's feel it. like that. You know, there's there's the impression of like, uh, there's a sort of tears of a, of a clown, uh, giving something up, being an entertainer, for giving something up for others. I don't care about this. It's for me. It's for me. So I can feel real nice about myself. There is always, and this is not your pure OCD, almost all stand-up comedians are sociopaths in some way. Oh, borderline. I mean, Everyone's on that. Borderline yeah. or full-blown. <laughs> yeah, full-blown sociopaths yeah. who feel things so deeply, yeah. yet care so little for others. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're turned down, I didn't get on Mock the Week, cry, 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 <laughs> cry. It's my mother's funeral. You're coming. I've got a gig. What are you talking about? Yeah. Jeez, of course I'm not coming to your mother's funeral. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's a there's yeah. a very odd balance that we are deeply emotional. Yeah, yeah. Yet not. That's really interesting, and I find that very hard. When you you're watching a certain, you're watching stand ups, and 
they are doing very relatable material, but I I know them personally, mm. and I know that they have absolutely not a solitary scrap of empathy in them, <laughs> and I and I know that this this connection that they are that they are nurturing with the audience of like don't we all experience this and stuff I know it's I know it's so agonizingly violently false and I find that very hard to watch I what I really like is when someone is truthful and that can come in literally any form it's just about feeling that presence that truth that humanity and I think I think comedy is changing and I think the sort of traditional uh observational very direct stand up style is is becoming less popular because we don't we 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 want something more than than just well written jokes yes and well structured routines we want to we want to see a person because we all feel increasingly detached and alone from one another and what greater joy to just watch a person be a person on stage um yeah I think it's if if I watch I I know many great comedians who tell jokes. Mm. I don't think I've ever told a joke in my life. <laughs> no. I tell a series of la- rambling stories that eventually yeah. come to some form of conclusion. <laughs> I don't tell jokes, and I find yeah. I find the act of of watching jokes for fifty five minutes mm. not very interesting. Oh no! Whereas when I watch Bridget Christie pretending mm. to be the Black Death with a blanket over her head <laughs> to four people, my God, I've never seen anything like yeah, it in my yeah, life. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was extraordinary yeah. to watch yeah. something like that in front of my yeah. eyes. Because it's someone, it's someone giving something up for you. It's watching someone sacrifice something, and that can be dignity or their own <laughs> privacy or something. But yes. there's just they are, they are giving something up for you. Yes. And there and that is that is an inc- that is incredibly that, that is incredibly lovely to experience. And you know it, you just know it. When you watch somebody, you know you know if there are stakes in this. And you know if they are uh being truthful. And that doesn't necessarily mean telling the truth or saying something that has happened, but you just recognize truth. We all we 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 we, we just it's just we we all have an we all have an intuition yes. for it. It's one of the reasons why I've never moved away from Glasgow. Mm. Because my the reality of my life is in Glasgow mm-hmm. and I don't live in London and I don't go to celebrity parties and mm-hmm. I don't I live in Glasgow yeah. and go to my local pub yeah. because that is who I am yeah and I think if I started telling stories and I you know of, I was at the Grouch show the other well, day exactly uh, that's not me I I don't like I don't uh, that's not well, this I, is the risk. Like. This is the risk, isn't it? You know that. that uh, Shall I say? Shall I say his name? Um, this is the problem with. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, right on your hand. Right on your hand. Um, but, but say, certain, say it. We'll cut it out. There's a certain uh, Ricky Gervais. R- Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. So oh, that's a, fine. You can say him. That's not a problem. <laughs> He's not Everyone else is slagging yeah. him off. It doesn't oh, great. matter. All right, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, but there's something I remember very. Uh, so the, the, he did an interview. I did a series of interviews a few years ago with uh, one with Larry David, one with Christopher Guest, and one with Gary Shandling. The one with Gary Shandling went so badly that he then no longer did it. I don't know if you've, you've yes, seen I, it. Yes, you've seen I, it. I, oh yeah, boy, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what I remember, I remember so clearly two two things that that Gary Shandling said to Ricky Gervais. One of them was uh, the moment you think you've got it as an actor, as a performer, as a person, you've lost it. And Ricky Gervais is just nodding along like, uh-huh, like with a sort of sagely understanding. But he doesn't get it. At that point, he's gone. He's gone. You know, it's like fame has corrupted him at that mm-hmm. point. He also then says, and he gives and he gives, he gives Gervais a really long, lingering stare afterwards. He says, you cannot get caught up in the result of your work. That is not who you are. And he holds it, and Gervais just sort of shrugs it off. But it's the most, I think that is channeling warning him. Do not, do not become part of the th- the, thing. the thing. Do not be. Do not live in the thing. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many times you kid yourself into believing that, oh, you're actually you're infiltrating that world because you want to send up fame and whatever. It's like, well, you can't be doing that when Ben Stiller's got his arm around you. You know, you're you you are now part of that, and you are now so far removed from the thing that made people like you in the first place. I know someone who simply wants to be famous. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, and to Instagram pictures yeah. of them in free stuff. Yeah. I always turn down free stuff. I've never accepted. Oh, really? I was offered a mattress. 
So Why do you know what I needed a mattress? Well, I didn't need to tweet that I got the mattress. Oh, no, and I thought, I don't want to turn into the person who starts tweeting, yeah, yeah, thanks yeah. very much to X, Y, and Z for the mattress. Exactly, yeah. Because I hate them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. if you become the, the people that you hate, it's not to say you can't change and evolve as a person, mm. but if you actively become the thing you hate, then I hate me. Yeah, exactly. And I already yeah. don't like myself as it is. <laughs> I don't need extra excuse to. No matter how me. great a night's sleep you're going to get. Listen, I wish I'd taken it now. <laughs> Seen the price of mattresses. Um, this uh, podcast, just before we finish up, is listened to by is, I hope by lots of people, mm. depressed people, people who know people with a depression, just anyone mm. in particular. And I, I always like to finish, or I'd like to finish. And it doesn't need to be positive. It doesn't mm. mean to be negative. It means almost, you know, that 16, 17-year-old person who you were mm. before you realised what you had and before mm. there was any help. What would you like to say to anyone? I always say at the end of it, uh, don't lose hope. Yeah. There is something out there. I can't, I'm not going to lie to anyone and say it's not going to take time to find it. Mm. But you're not on your own. Mm. Literally almost all of us are living with some form of mental health condition. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to see? Um, I think what I would say to myself at that age and others experiencing that is you're, you're not alone because we all experience uncertainties and we all experience doubts and we are all broken and rather than that being a reason to hide away from others, that is the basis on which we should connect. It's been lovely to connect with a fellow sociopath <laughs> in a cupboard where I started crying very briefly. And uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Really. Cheers, Thank mate. you, Susan. Cheers, yeah. mate. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcast from, and then you'll automatically get next week's episode. Next week, I'll be talking to Jessie Cave. Why aren't you in therapy? Exactly. Have you, have you been in therapy? Well, the problem is I feel like it's dating. I don't have time to date therapists because isn't it like you find the right one? I don't have time to date and find a therapist. I have to choose one. <laughs> okay. So to you, the choice between dating and therapy? Yeah, I either have sex or I find a therapist. I'm going to say therapy is more important, Jessie. <laughs> I would disagree. Say, I'm going to say... <laughs> Therapy is more important. If if I'm being honest with you, if you think that's your choice, you need to go to yeah. therapy. If you like the show, do leave us a review as that will help other people find it too. And if you want to get in touch, then you can email Mrs. Brightside at bbc.co.uk. And finally, we know this podcast talks about things that might have affected you or someone you know personally. If that's the case and you'd like some further info, head to the Mrs. Brightside page on the BBC website and we'll put up some links to places you might find useful. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, Calman out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>